0: So right now, we are in this little study. We're going to get back to Philippians here. Uh, you know, it's February already. Like, where did January go, right? It was really, really amazing. We are in February. We're going to get there by the end of the month. But right now, we are in this little series on relationships, on marriage, called Power Couples. And the idea is, what are the pieces, what are the muscles that we need to exercise, that we need to give attention to if we want to have a super marriage. We've talked about two already. The first is the power of intentionality, that you have to be intentional. You have to prioritize your marriage. You've got to learn to serve your spouse, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Then last week, to me, what's such a crucial piece, we talked about the power of a shared vision. As, as a couple, two becoming one, how do, how do we know where we're going? And that shared vision of what we want to see and what we want to become as a couple and what we want our lives to look at, and learning to live intentionally towards that. Next week, we're going to talk about the power of grace. Oh, very, very important muscle. But today, we're going to talk about the power of oneness. This ideal that I believe that we so often miss that God's design and his plan for marriage is that we would be one, that we would work as this unit that reflects his very character. you see because God of course in the book of Genesis reminds us that that he is one and yet he exists as three father, Son and Holy Spirit. and so when he makes man he makes man in his image and he makes the male and female so that Man and a woman with him actually makes a little sub, triunity, and this idea of being one. So, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two, and in this we have the story of the creation of Eve. So, you know, Adam's been around; he's he's. Named all the animals and no one, you know, was found suitable for him. So God causes a sleep, takes a rib out, makes Eve. Uh, there's some suggestion that in the Hebrew, there's actually a word here that's missing in the translation, which is, wow. <laughs> wow, ain't seen nothing like her yet, right? And the man said, verse 23, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. "'She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. "'For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, "'shall be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh.'" and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed god has a plan and an ideal that i would suggest that for most people is far beyond your idea of what your marriage would look like a oneness of a spirit a oneness of soul a oneness of body that that is so deep and it goes to the very core of who we were made to be now over the years, the book, because this actually dates back probably to the early 90s, I think, but it's probably the book I've given out more on marriage than any of them. It's called The Marriage Builder. It's by Larry Crabb. Highly recommend it. I've got five copies up here after the sermon. Uh, if you get up here and you want one, they're, they're free of charge. I encourage you to take it. He goes into this stuff a lot deeper than I'm going to today. But the power of oneness of what God's ideal is, is that a husband and wife, we would act and love and be as one. The first piece of that is what I would call spirit oneness. And when I talk about spirit, and you know, we could talk about many, we're going to talk about three pieces today. We could talk about a lot more where oneness ought to be. I think these are the foundational three. When I talk about spirit oneness, what I'm talking about is that part of us that connects with God. That part of us that was made to reflect His image, because we were made in the image of God. We were made to be His image bearers, to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to know Him. And sadly, it is the spirit part of us that in essence died that day in the Garden of Eden. We lost our relationship with Him. That relationship was broken. And it's that part of us that when we were actually born was really born dead. In fact, Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 2 Even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's what separates us from God, that's the Spirit. He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And so now in Jesus, we've been brought back to this right relationship with him. And the beauty of spirit oneness is this, is that it makes it possible for us to understand, because now we, we now have a relationship with our God again, that truly the only one who can meet the deepest needs of our life consistently and without fail is not another person, but it's Jesus. And that our sufficiency has to be in Him. You see, when you and I go into this idea of marriage thinking that this person is going to meet all of these deep needs in my life, all we're doing is setting them up for failure. So... For some of you, I got thinking, this is probably a little before your time. Others of you will know because it's become a part of our culture. But back in what, the mid-90s, movie came out, what, Jerry Maguire. And there's a phrase in that movie that has actually become a part of the culture. You complete me. Remember that? Oh, it was so sweet. (laughs) A crock, but really sweet in fact it was even a crock in the movie because if you remember the way the movie played after that their their relationship went all bananas because the reality is when you look at the deep needs that we have there's nobody who is going to consistently forever meet those needs and we could spend the rest of the day talking about it but if i could narrow it down to probably our two deepest needs In fact, this is what Larry would argue about in his book. Our our number one is this idea of security. And when I talk about security, it's the fact that I am loved no matter what. That I am loved unconditionally. That even when I kind of stink up the place a little bit, that I am still loved. That's that. Because we were made. We had that in him. But the reality is, if I put that upon my wife and then I act ugly, guess what she's going to do? She's going to pull back, and rightfully so. She can't be that person in my life. The other need that we have is for significance, that we are valued, that our life has meaning and purpose and And so we go and we work hard and we think that that's the other person's always going to appreciate that. And sometimes they don't. And we're going to make the great meal and we're going to do this. And we think it'll be appreciated, but sometimes it isn't. And when we're looking for that validation from them, all we're doing is setting up to fail. Here's the great thing. When you and I know Jesus, guess what? We know the one that no matter how ugly we are, he still loves us, right? In fact, the truth is, when we were really ugly and still in our sin, that's when he actually came and died for us, to pay the penalty for us. You think of the story of of the prodigal son, you know. He's squandered everything. He's out there. He's eating the corn cobs with the pigs. But when he turns around to go home, who does he find? His dad standing there with open arms, right? That's unconditional love. That's what we have in Jesus. You talk about significance. That we are so loved, that we are so important to him, that he came and he died for us. He gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us. That The things that we do have eternal value. You see, spirit oneness is made possible when we know Jesus and we begin to realize that our sufficiency is not going to be found in another person. Our sufficiency is found in Jesus. And man, when that begins to happen, all of a sudden what it does is it frees us up now to serve the other person. Because I'm not, tr- I'm not there for what I'm going to get. I'm not there for what she can give me. But I have all that I need in Christ. There's an old song uh, that, that we used to sing called, I am loved. I am loved. I can risk loving you for the one who knows me best loves me the most. And because he loves me, I can now risk loving you. And even when I don't get the responses that I want, even though I don't get those pieces that that maybe my heart wants, I can still serve you. And that's what we talk about when we talk about spirit oneness. And now when you have a husband and a wife who both know Jesus, who both know their sufficiency is in Christ, now they can lean into Jesus together. And that creates spirit oneness that's what creates the synergy of man that sub trinity a husband and a wife and and Jesus going about life I've I've told you uh in the past you know Tammy and I probably our most uh special moments in our marriage have always been on a walk uh, that was how we, we, courted and figured out if we were going to get married and, and would often when the kids were small, that was where we get our time to, you know, we put them on the bikes or the rollerblades and we go for a walk. And, and now that they're out and we're old and we need to get exercise, we go walk. Right. And, and it's so fun because that's where we talk and, and we talk about the things that, well, I'm old. She's not, I better correct that right now. Okay. I need to walk. But we go and we walk and we talk about life and we talk about issues and we talk about people in our life and may, some making bad decisions and some that really need help. And we think about our kids and we talk about this. And it always happens when we've turned for home that, that that walk now turns into prayer and we begin to pray and we begin to together take those things to the Lord. And I tell you, there's a synergy, there's a power, there's a oneness there that's absolutely incredible. And really, this is that foundational piece. So let me give you a couple takeaways. And I want to start talking, first of all, to those of you that are still single. Because these things are really important. I've already mentioned them, but I want to reiterate. Number one, as a single person, you better find your sufficiency in Jesus before you go looking for it in another person. Because if you're going to look for it in another person, oh, they make me so happy. Oh, they bring us a joy. Yeah. Then try living with them. 24-7 they're gonna fail you when you find that your sufficiency is in Christ and he's all that I need and if he brings someone in my life great and I can now begin to love them and be his hands and feet to her or to him or whatever it is then great but you better settle that first which also then ties into something we mentioned a couple weeks ago that's why there's a non-negotiable for a believer if you're single and you're looking to marriage that you only marry a a believer, because it is impossible to have spirit oneness. Our sufficiency is in Christ. We lean into him together with somebody who doesn't know him. Number three, for those of us who are married, what it means is that we need to intentionally seek the Lord together. You would think after nearly 40 years in ministry, you don't get surprised by stuff. But one of the things that still surprises me from time to time is we talk to people about their marriage and their struggle. And you ask them, do you pray together? No. Do you ever open God's word together? No. Do you ever talk about spiritual things? No. And, and, and these are people that are, I mean, they're, they're in the church. They, they seem to love Jesus. And then I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, in all these years, I don't think, I'm not saying it's never happened in the history of humankind, but I'm just saying I don't think anybody's ever said this to me, that a man has said, you know, I tried to pray with my wife, but she didn't want to. Don't think I've ever heard that. What I've heard dozens and dozens of times is wives saying, you know, my husband won't pray with me. Guys your leadership in your home, you need to pray with your wife. If you don't pray with her, you'll start praying with her. It'll make a significant difference open up God's Word. Read a Proverbs together. Talk about the things of the Lord. It will build spirit oneness. It will change your marriage. The second type of oneness I want to talk about is what I would call soul oneness. And soul is this part of us that relates with life. It is our mind. It's our will. It's our emotions. It's our perspectives. It's our motivations. It's how we look at life. And this coming together two people into one is just huge. And so how we get there Is this idea that now because my sufficiency is found in Christ, what I'm called to do is to minister to the soul, to the heart of my spouse, to love them well. To see what it is that has their needs. In fact, really in a sense, because their sufficiency is in Christ. Christ is meeting their needs. Oh, by the way, he put me in their life as their spouse to be his hands and feet. I better serve her. Or I better serve him if you're a wife. And so we begin to serve. And and you remember the verse that we looked at in Philippians this last fall? Philippians chapter 2, it says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself don't merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interest of others now that would be a perfect marriage verse right but it's not He's not talking about marriage there. What he's talking about is my relationship with you, your relationship with me. It's about the body of Christ. My suggestion would be, if that's true about how you and I are to relate one another, how much more should that verse be true about how I relate to my wife? That I serve her as that number one primary way. You folks, you got to understand, my primary ministry in life is not this church. It's not. My primary ministry in life is not my kids and now my grandkids. My number one ministry before Jesus is my wife. That's the way God designed it. And her primary ministry is not women's ministry, but it's me. That's the way it works. And that's where you build soul oneness, is that you begin to serve. You become the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm doing it not in order to get something from you, but so that I can love you well. I can see those needs met in your heart and life. In fact, really, the antithesis of soul oneness is manipulation. And man, that's, that's how so many interact. I'll serve you in order to get what I want. I.E., I'll come home, I'll help around, I'll clean, help clean up the house because I want sex tonight. Or I'll make this great meal or I'll do this in order so that you come home and you see this, you, you, you'll speak value. Man, you'll be so appreciative. I'll go out and I'll work hard to bring home money to, to provide for our family so that I will be appreciated. And truthfully, it may work once or twice. But at some point, they're going to fail to recognize. At some point, it's not going to turn into sex. At some point, there's not going to be the accolades. And all of a sudden, here's the problem with manipulation. Number one, the person who's been manipulated really begins to feel like they were used. You just did that to get this. And in our heart, all it does is it creates anger because we had this expectation. I did this in order to get this. I did it. You didn't respond. And now there's anger. There's hostility. We build all these arguments against each other. Manipulation kills soul oneness. The truth is, if we're serving in order to manipulate, then our sufficiency isn't fully in Jesus. So let me give you some takeaways of how to build soul oneness. Let me mention four of them. Number one, you have to understand that ministry instead of manipulation is only going to come as you find your sufficiency in Jesus. He's he's the one. He's the one that gives me my sense of, of secure love. He's the one that gives me that sense of, and and that understanding of worth and value. M- my spouse may love me, but there are going to be times when they're going to drop the ball, but that's okay. I'm here to serve. It starts with that. Secondly, I must realize that that I'm God's chosen person. If you know Tammy, you, you know, she's the, I mean, she's the, a, a, she's the the emotional piece of our family. She's the social butterfly. Everybody loves Tammy. She's got lots of great friends. She's got family that just, you know, they, you know my, my grandkids call it nanny's house, not Bapa's house. I don't, I don't keep trying to correct that, but that's the way it goes, right? But with all these people that love her, I'm the one that has been chosen by God to love her well. I've been the one that's been chosen by God to be his hands and feet to her heart. That's my number one calling in life as a follower of Jesus and as somebody who's married. Number three, and it kind of follows on this, so therefore i got to become a student, a sensitive student to my wife's heart. How do I love her well? You know, if you've ever gone through the study of love languages, this idea that there's like five ways in which we both receive love and we show love, and typically the way we show love is the way we like to get it, but that may not be the way your spouse interprets it. That may not be their love language, and so you have to become a student. How does my spouse want to be loved? How do I meet the needs of her life? What's going on in her life? I've got to become a student of hers. I've got to know her better than any else. I have to listen. I have to have time to understand. I need her to talk to me. I've got to pull that out sometimes. She's actually pretty good about giving it to me, but, uh, but I've got to listen. I've got to pay attention. This becomes that place of understanding that this is my number one job before Jesus is to love her well to be his hands and feet to what's going on in her life today. Now, let me throw out one more. If manipulation has been a part of the past, then honestly where you need to start today is with seeking forgiveness. Because here's what happens. When I have been manipulating Now, all of a sudden, there's suspicion on the other part. I mean, I've done marriage counseling now for nearly 40 years. It it amazes me when somebody really, seemingly, sincerely wants to start loving their spouse well. Typically, they will start trying to serve, but the spouse has got all these walls built up. And it's like, why? Because they've been manipulated so many times. They're not going to fall for it again. The walls are up. And I can tell you, you're never going to know soul oneness until you start tearing those walls down. And those walls coming down start with, honey, looking her in the eye. I was wrong. I need you to forgive me. I know that I've, I've done stuff in order to get stuff. And, and then I've behaved badly and I've gotten angry and I'm wrong. I need you to forgive me. That's where it begins. If you want to build soul oneness. And then this leads into this idea of body oneness. Body oneness. And when I talk about body, what I'm talking about here is the sexual nature with which we were created. You know, you go back to Genesis 1, He starts there. He created them male and female. Very distinctly with their sexuality. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. I'll be honest with you, even here in our text. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. They'll become one flesh that, that's got this body connotation. And I love what he says here. That, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. You see, there was this soul intimacy, the spirit oneness that they had and body oneness of being naked, of being completely transparent, completely revealed, completely known, and yet completely loved and completely committed to. It's God's ideal. Now, I, I, I'm going to, you know, I started this series, you all know me, uh, me and the culture kind of have this love-hate relationship, because our culture says a lot about our sexuality. I just happen to think that our culture is wrong completely on it. Um, and, you know, you, you may, this may not set well with you, what I'm going to say, and that's okay, but, you know, I, in fact, we talking to somebody, you know, well, we want to be affirmed. Listen you don't affirm children riding their bike out in the middle of the street right you tell them it's wrong you don't you get them back And if we don't, it's unloving. And so I'm going to try to present truth. And I don't want you to think I'm being mean or unkind. It's just I love you enough to try to tell you the truth. Because I think when you look at our culture, which just says you can express your sexuality however you want. And this is kind of a fluid thing you've figured out. And yet our society, we got suicide rates are rampant. Depression is rampant. People, people are just, their divorce is rampant. I want to say I think our culture is wrong, and I think Jesus and God, who actually made this, he made us with our sexuality, actually knows what he's talking about, and he loves us enough to have given us some parameters. So here's some of the parameters. Number one is that God reserved sexual intimacy for a man and a wife in marriage, and that is the only place. That was God's design. In fact, we don't have time If you want to go back, we spent a lot of time, I think it was the fall of 2018, it was 1 Corinthians 7. We took a whole morning and talked about this. Our God is a God of covenants. And he made a covenant relationship with himself. That is the Trinity. Trinity. And then when he made man and woman, he said, I'm going to make you in my image that a husband and a wife and a God now kind of this little sub-trinity. And the sign of the covenant that he gave was sexual intimacy, the becoming of one. That's why God's designed put it that way. And it's interesting that every other place where there's sexual intimacy outside of marriage, God in his word calls it sin. So if a man or woman get involved sexually before their marriage, the word is fornication. What a unique word, right? He calls it sin. If a man and woman who are married get involved in sexual intimacy with somebody who's not their spouse, it's called adultery. It's called sin. When a man and a man or a woman and a woman get involved in sexual intimacy, it's called homosexuality. It's sin. When a man or a woman has sexual relationships with an animal, it's bestiality. It's called sin. Because that's not what God created it for. It was for this oneness in marriage. That's what God reserved it for. Because what happens now is you have both the physical pleasure that now is tied to this lifelong commitment where we have promised and pledged ourselves till death do us part, that we are clinging to one another. And so this is that piece of me that you can know that nobody else can know. And this is that piece of her that, that, that nobody else can know. And it's in that intimacy of marriage, that bondage of marriage, that now body oneness takes place. It's not just a physical release. It's not just a physical act. It is the union of two souls who are serving one another. And the reason God says it's reserved for marriage is because you cannot have that outside of that commitment of a lifetime that you have made before God and witnesses till death do us part. It's impossible. God does not want you to miss his very best. And so that's why he says it's reserved. And so now in the midst of that, what I'm called to do is to minister to my spouse's needs, not to manipulate her in order to meet my needs, but to meet her needs. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about this. This is what I'm called to do. I'm called to serve her. I am called to, to minister to the, the, those needs sexually and, and to learn and to grow. You know, uh, th- this whole aspect, it, it, we we almost get this idea that okay man when you get married and you know it's like you're on a honeymoon for the first year and sex is great and then all of a sudden just listen it just gets routine and the problem with routine in one sense there's nothing wrong except a routine is just always routine it becomes a a rut and you know what a rut is a rut is just a grave with two ends kicked out That's not God's design. God's design is just like in every other part as we're growing in soul oneness, we're growing in spirit oneness, and we're growing in body oneness. That's what he's called us to. So let me give you some takeaways. Number one, that I need to intentionally develop this area of our marriage. I mean, listen, Tammy and I have been married for 30 years. I would hope that today I understand her heart and I minister to her heart better, be in the hands and feet of Jesus, ministering to her soul better than I did 30 years ago. And if I don't, there's something wrong with me. It's the same way in the body oneness. If I cannot love her and I don't understand her body better and I haven't taken the time to learn and to talk and to ask questions, then there's something wrong with me. This is what God has called me to do. And for her to, you know, and I got accused in the last service that I've talked more because, you know, I'm the male standing up here. And I, I get this. This goes both ways. But I do it not in order to manipulate her so I can have more sex. I do it because that's, that's what I'm called to do. In fact, the reality is, is that I have the privilege and the responsibility that nobody else has. Nobody else is honored to know her in that way except me. And God puts upon us that we grow in our body oneness so that we learn and we grow in that, that sense of, of connectedness. And as we come together, that idea that we, we are together in this life, it's us two against the world. It's us two in God on his mission for our life this, this aspect of body oneness, it's huge. So couples, man, you've you got to give this time. You've got to give this attention. You need to get away, sometimes without the kids. You, you, this has got to be an important piece because God's ideal is, is that we would become one flesh in spirit, soul, and body. And that reflect His very character in this. Now I want to talk to you that are single. And this isn't probably going to go over so well. But this is truth. God's the one who designed us with our sexuality. He knows how it works best. He's not holding out on you. He wants you to know his best. But if you're not married and you're involved in a sexual relationship and you want to honor the Lord in your life, you need to stop. You need to get out of that relationship. If you feel that God's called you to marry, and they're a believer, and you guys want to do what's right before the Lord, then get married. But honor the Lord in this area of your life. He loves you. He doesn't want you because he knows that this is that peace that will wreck your life. When you start giving this peace, this unique piece of you away, and and now it's person after person, the walls go up. The ability to be able to know this body oneness with the one that God will bring into your life comes very hard. Now here's the problem. All of us have a past, Right? All of us have a yesterday. And the truth is, there's not a one of us in here that can fix yesterday. That's the cool thing about Jesus, right? He fixed yesterday, didn't he? He came and died on the cross and paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll take care of yesterday. We have The opportunity to fix today. To seek the Lord with our spouse. To serve our spouse. Be in the hands and feet of Jesus, not out of manipulation, but because my needs are met in Jesus. Now I am free to love them. And to today pursue my spouse to meet their sexual needs embody oneness as a single person to remain abstinent until God brings that person in my life and we covenant together in marriage we can choose to do what's right today and to know God's very very best in our life father I thank you for your word I thank you that you love us I thank you that you are the one who completes us Lord, you're the one who completes Tammy, not me. And you're the one that completes me. And Lord, in that sufficiency of who you are, we now can love. And we can love without manipulating. We can love without getting mad when our needs aren't met. Lord, maybe there's someone here today who doesn't know Jesus. I pray, Lord, that today they would invite you to be their Savior. Maybe there's some that are still struggling with the guilt and shame of yesterday. Lord, may they understand that when they invite you into their life, that you forgive them all their sin. Lord, maybe there are some today that, Lord, they are not loving their spouse well. There is no soul oneness. There is no spirit oneness. They're not sh- moving together to seek you. There's not that, Lord, they're not meeting their, their spouse's sexual needs. God, I pray that you would convict us. And I pray, God, that you would help us to move together to your ideal of marriage, that we would become one. One in our spirit, one in our soul, one in our body. That we would truly be able to live naked, completely known, completely exposed, yet completely loved, completely committed to. In Jesus' name, amen.